Well, to start 2016, our senior pastor Brad decided that we're going to begin preaching through the New Testament letter of 1 Peter. And he asked me to start us off, and we'll look at the letter's kind of introductory verses today. They're printed in your bulletin, or you can turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, the first two verses are the introduction. Maybe you've, you've, maybe you've heard this before. In the days of the New Testament, people wrote letters differently than they do now. You know, today we begin a letter by saying, Dear your name, you know. And uh, we, it's interesting to me, actually, that we use this pleasant greeting, even in business letters, or even when we're writing someone who we don't even know. We say, dear person, you know. It's interesting that they're dear to you, even though you don't know them. We do this, though, to begin our letters with a friendly tone. It's a positive sort of way to begin. And then after the greeting, we write the main part of our letter, whatever it is that we really wanted to write about. And then at the end, we finish the letter by saying, like, love, my name. Or sincerely, if it's more business-like, my name. So we sign that at the conclusion. And so if you get a letter and there was no return address on the envelope and there was no heading on the paper, you'd actually have to turn to the back of the letter to, uh, to see who it was from. Well, in the ancient times, they did, it, they did things in a different order. They didn't have envelopes. They didn't have a return address. Um, maybe they had somebody who brought the letter and he knew who it was from. But they, would always do, they did things in a different order. They would start by saying who the letter is from. This letter is from Brian. It's to you. That's how it would start. Uh, Then they would say after that, this this is who it's from, this is who it's to, and then they would give kind of, just like we do today, we'd begin with some kind of a pleasant greeting, something to start the the letter off with kind of a a positive and and pleasant tone. That was the way they wrote their letters in the ancient world, not just in the Bible, but especially we see this in the letters in the Bible. They follow this format. But throughout the ancient world, that was just how you wrote letters. So um, let's listen to how 1 Peter begins. Let's see how he starts off his letter uh, to the churches. He starts off by saying, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's who the letter's from. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. That's who the letter's to. And then he begins with this greeting. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. There's kind of a lot of things we can do to start off looking at the letter of 1 Peter. I just wanted to look at these two verses and I say, well, there's at least three questions that arise out of these first two verses that I think are very interesting. And so I think we'll just start off by asking those three questions, and those three questions will help launch us into the rest of the letter of 1 Peter. So here's the first question. Who was Peter? And now if you've been around the Bible for a while, you, you generally know who Peter is because you have kind of a concept of the different stories. You, you, maybe you've heard some of the stories about Peter, about some of the things he did when he was with Jesus or after he was with Jesus. But to me, if you stop and really think about the Apostle Peter, if you take into account who he is and what he did, I actually think he's a pretty strange and complicated person. He's contradictory. He's all kinds of opposites all bundled together into one person. For instance, when Jesus found Peter, he was a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee. I mean, in that culture, that was pretty much a blue-collar kind of work. Uh, he's a, probably a strong guy. 
Uh, he's weathered. I mean, you work outdoors in all kinds of seasons and in weather and in storms. Um, the, the waters, and even though it's inland water, the water in that region is often salty, uh, depending on where you're working as a fisherman. Um, so, you know, he's, he's a weathered kind of guy, pretty blue collar, a tough guy. Um, but as you read about him in the New Testament, as you see what he did and the things he said, you actually learn that he's surprisingly well-read. He was obviously very intelligent. He was, uh, he was well-educated for a fisherman. He was a reader. He was a writer. He really, really knew the Old Testament. He pretty clearly had studied it really hard, probably all of his life. It's something he was passionate about. And so Peter's this interesting contradiction, a complicated kind of guy. He's, he's a white-collar, blue-collar guy. That's one, that's one thing. He's also, as you read through the stories about him, he's a very serious guy. Um, he's not prone to joking. He's kind of intense. When he was in, he was all in. When he did something, he did it intensely. But then, at the, on the other hand, he could do the absolute silliest things. Do you remember any stories of Peter doing silly things? My favorite one is at the Transfiguration, when Jesus is transfigured in front of the, in front of the three disciples. <clears throat> and do you remember what Peter's reaction to this is? He didn't know what to say, and so he began talking. You know, and he just starts kind of blathering on and on. He didn't stop talking. Yeah, I think it's comedy. I think in the story, it's supposed to be funny. You're supposed to kind of laugh at Peter. And this included, by the way, in the Gospel of Mark, which was hugely influenced by Peter, which is very interesting. Peter, you could almost say Peter almost wrote the Gospel of Mark, and he records in this, you know, oh yeah, there was that one time when I was the bumbling fool, you know. And so it's kind of funny. <clears throat> <It's>, <laughs> he didn't know what to say, so he just kept talking. You know, some of us know what that's like, right? When in doubt, spit it out. That was, more, that was kind of Peter's style. He did that sometimes. Or do you remember what happened? This one's more serious, um, but this is a great contradiction. In Matthew 16, first Jesus asks, who do people say that I am? And when Peter has said that he believes that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, Jesus says to him, I tell you, you are Peter, which means rock. You're the rock. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. But then in the story that immediately follows, the very next passage in in this exact same chapter, Matthew 16, Jesus tells his disciples, oh, and by the way, I'm going to be killed. And Peter says, never, I'll never let that happen. And then Jesus, just after he gives him this glorious commendation, he then turns around and says to him, get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. See, so he's this great contradiction. Is he wonderful or is he awful? You know, he's kind of both. So another thing is Peter's a really brave guy. He spoke boldly, he spoke forcefully, but he could back it up too. You know, I mean, like I said, he's probably pretty strong. And do you remember when they came to arrest Jesus? Do you remember what Peter's reaction to this was? He just instantly whips out a sword and starts flailing, you know? And he, he chops off a guy's ear. It just, it's laying in the ground, and Jesus ends up healing it. He cuts a guy's ear off. So he's super brave. Uh, immediately goes, you know, right to action. But then just, uh, you know, a, a couple hours later, he denies Jesus. And it wasn't like he was being interrogated by the secret police either. I mean, he was replying to a simple question from a little servant girl. This little girl comes up and says, hey, weren't you with Jesus? And he's like, ah, I don't know what you're talking about, you know. 
Jesus who? Oh, is that guy that they have, is his name Jesus? You know, that talk about intimidating the little servant girl, right? Three times he denies Jesus that night. And on a day in which Jesus was abandoned by literally everyone, Peter's failure on that night is the most outstanding one. You see? So he's a brave man and a coward. And those are just a few of the ways. I mean, I think we could spend even more time talking about who Peter was. I think those are just a few of the ways in which we see him as a complicated guy with a complicated story. I mean, there are moments of pure wonder where you say, wow, Peter's amazing. And then there are other moments where you say, I wonder what in the world he's thinking, you know. He was a fisherman and apostle, the best of guys and a major letdown. He was the most regular of Joes, and yet he was the the absolute most important person in the very early history of the church. So I think you could summarize it by saying Peter was a faithless, faithful follower of Jesus. He's all of the above. Was he wonderful? Was he a letdown? All of the above. Peter knew what it meant to fail Jesus. He knew what it it meant to downright stink with the worst possible timing. He knew what it meant to fall flat on his face in the most public and embarrassing way. And yet he also knew that Jesus loved him anyway. That Jesus used him anyway. And he used him to do amazing things. So the arc, the trajectory of Peter's life is so surprising. It's really wonderful, actually. Peter knew... When you see in verse 2 where he says, grace and peace. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Peter knew grace and peace. And he knew it profoundly. His entire life was built on the grace of his Savior. Who didn't just love him despite his flaws. But Peter knew that Jesus loved him until he became flawless. And Peter knew the peace that comes from resting in the beautiful and merciful love of Jesus. So when Peter begins the gospel by saying, may grace and peace, I'm sorry, his letter by saying, the grace, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in verse 2. That's not a vague and empty platitude. He's not sitting there saying, hey, by the way, have a great day. You know, I hope, I hope this letter finds you happy. You know, it's not a vague and empty platitude. Peter was a man who knew grace and peace. He had experienced it firsthand. And when he wrote this letter, he was trying to help of his readers find the same grace and peace. As you heard me describe the complex contradictions that make up the Apostle Peter, I hope that it sounded familiar to you. Because whenever I think about Peter, I can't help but think about us. I mean, he's pretty much like us, right? I mean, is there any one of us who doesn't feel like we're a walking contradiction? I mean, quick, in your mind, make a list of the five things that you value most in your life. What were just the first five things that came to mind? Now, how consistently do you live as if those were the five most valuable things in your life? I mean, the odds are those five things are a bit of a a contradiction anyway. I mean, our picture of the good life is always bigger than reality. We want to have it all. The perfect body the perfect soul, the perfect family, the perfect job, the perfect house, and the perfect city. We want to be noticed. We want to have control. It's all so much bigger than whatever we can pull off. But that doesn't stop us from trying. So we become, we become walking contradictions. We become like Peter. And I think Peter actually knew that. I think he knew that about his readers. I think he knew everybody else is a walking contradiction too. 
that's why he writes the letter. Because he knows that the people that are going to read it are actually an awful lot like him. And they need the same thing that he found. That's what leads him to write. And that's, he, he knew about that yearning for grace and for peace. And he wanted others to know where to find it. So that's the first question. Who was Peter? The second question is, to whom is Peter writing here? First off, you notice in verse 1, it says, to those who are elect exiles. I love that phrase, elect exiles. I mean, that's a pretty glorious contradiction in terms too, right? I mean, they are elect by God, chosen to be his people. It's a description that bestows an undeserved honor on the people that are reading. You are elect by God. That would bring them joy. You are God's beloved people. It's a wonderful thing to read. And yet, at the same time that they're elect by God, they're also exiles. And exiles are people that are forced out of their homes, scattered in strange lands, yearning to return to the place where they belong. And so elect exiles is a description in tension. It's like saying, to, to those who know a wonderful sadness, right? To those people who are desperate and joyful. It's that kind of tension that's expressed there. And I think that's a wonderful description of the people of God. Is that you? Do you know the, do you know the wonderful sadness and the desperate joy that is walking with Christ in this life? I think the whole phrase, the elect exiles, actually is directly echoing the people of God in the Old Testament, Israel. God has, and I think his illusion there is if you, if you follow the rabbit trail, if you, if you go down the, the little road, is what is an elect exile? That reminds me of Israel. What am I supposed to learn from them? What you're supposed to learn from them is that God has already once faithfully provided for his people in exile and brought them safely home. In other words, he has a track record. We know he can do it because he's done it before. You see. What he did for Israel, he will do for the church his people around the world in Peter's day and in our own. So they're the elect exiles, the readers of this letter. That's us. The place is named there in verse 1. Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. These are the major regions. They're not cities, they're regions. They're like, um, yeah, almost like states of what is now modern-day Turkey. But they're in the northern and central part, not down on the southern part. The Apostle Paul seemed to have had, you know, main influence on the southern part. But if, if there's an interesting story of why the Apostle Peter has the, a, a main influence on the northern and central parts. Do you remember the story of Peter's sermon at Pentecost? The Holy Spirit descends on the people, uh, on, on, the, on the apostles gathered in Jerusalem and they go out and Peter preaches this sermon to the crowd and <clears throat> thousands of people come and hear the sermon. And it says that more than 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus that day. <clears throat> well, it, it, you remember that it says that they were hearing the apostles speak in their own languages. The story is <clears throat> that there were people from all different nations assembled in Jerusalem on that day. Uh, and the people who heard and believed were from other, other regions and the story is that the, the reason that the people of northern and central modern day Turkey really valued the, the input of Peter why they would have really welcomed this letter is because the, those churches were started by people who went from Jerusalem after hearing Peter's sermon and went back to their homes in that region 
and started churches there. And so they all considered Peter like their father in the faith. Back, you know, we heard we heard Peter's sermon at Pentecost, and that was when we that was the beginning of our church here in, in this region. So that's the story of why um, he he, named, why he sends this letter to those regions specifically, and why they would have especially been willing to receive a letter from him. Who knows how many hundreds of people across the region heard <clears throat> about Jesus from those very first day Christians, the Pentecost Christians. So it makes sense that Peter would be writing to these people later to follow up with them, to instruct them, to encourage them in the faith. That they had history together, you know. And from these places, the gospel spread around the world, even eventually to Boise, Idaho. So that's who is Peter, and that's who, he, who he's writing to. The third question is, what is Peter writing about? Well, obviously, to really answer that question, we have, we're going to have to, you know, we'll work our way through the letter. There's five chapters of, of stuff Peter has to say. But I'll give a little bit of a bird's eye view, focusing especially on what he says here in the first couple verses. If you could write anything to the church, I mean, if you were writing a letter like this to the church, what would you say? You know, Peter's writing a letter to all these churches out there. What would you say if you were writing a letter to the church and you knew all the churches were going to read it? What would you say? Somebody this week told me that they would say, pull yourselves together. That was the message that they had for the church. Which, you know, maybe we need to hear that. But look again at the first two verses. There's actually quite a lot of content just even here in the first two verses. Look what he says about the foreknowledge of the Father, the one who wrote our story before the beginning of time. Look at the Holy Spirit's lifelong work of sanctification in which he rebuilds us and reshapes us into what we were made to be. The forgiveness that comes through the blood of Jesus shed in our place. It's been sprinkled on us, which is an allusion to the Israelites sprinkling blood on their doors during the first Passover or during the the sacrifices in the, the temple to follow. Always a sign that somebody has died for me. That's the sprinkling of the blood. That's the symbolism of it. Notice that the three persons of the Trinity are represented here. Father, Spirit, and Son. Peter wanted to proclaim in this letter the good news of what the triune God has done for us. That's what he's writing about in the letter. The gospel of our God. Martin Luther, he described 1 Peter in this way. This epistle of Peter is one of the grandest in the New Testament. It is true, pure gospel. For Peter does the same thing as all the other writers in the New Testament in that he he inculcates the true doctrine of the faith, how Christ has been given to us. He who takes away our sins and saves us, as we will hear as we read through the letter. That's Martin Luther's description of 1 Peter. It's one of the grandest in the New Testament. It's true, pure gospel gospel. Unwatered down. No ethanol in this one. So throughout the whole letter Peter is intensely focused on the gospel. He wants his readers to know what the gospel is and to know what the gospel does. As we work our way through the letter in the coming weeks here are some things for you to listen for. Listen. First, listen for Peter's description of how the gospel has worked out in time and space. 
once upon a time, he says, they were prophets who could see the salvation to come. They could see only dimly, off in the distance, but their words were triumphant and they were true. That's his account of the of the prophets. Then, then he says, then came Jesus, the man himself. He is the Savior. He's the only person in history who always faithfully, consistently, triumphantly did what he was meant to do. He's the only person we can ever say that about. He did what he came to do, what he was supposed to do. Through him, the people of God are lifted up from despair. And by him, even the worst things that happen to us work to build us up and not to tear us down. That's the gospel according to Peter. Then after, after Jesus comes us in Peter's story, comes us, the, the people who trust in Jesus and not in ourselves. First Peter, he, write, he writes in uh, chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. Listen for that. Listen as we go through First Peter. Listen for the gospel. But also, listen especially for how Peter describes Jesus. Who's the most important person in your life? Who's the person that you spend the most time with or think about the most? Is it your spouse, a parent, a sibling, or friend? I mean, imagine you're out in this coming week and you meet someone for the very first time. You've never met this person before, but then you discover as you're talking with them that they also know that most important person in your life. You're likely to hit it off with that person, right? You're likely to have a really interest, a good conversation. It's going to be a joyful time. Oh, you know them too. Aha. Imagine the conversation you'll have. Think of how you would describe that person that you love so dearly. And that's what Peter's doing in this letter. He knew Jesus. He knew him face to face. And he loved Jesus. And he was loved by Jesus. And Jesus changed his world. And, it, and Jesus meant the world to him. And so listen to how he describes Jesus in this letter. And as we move through First Peter Listen also to how Peter describes the differences that Jesus makes in our life. How he changes everything. Peter talks about a bunch of different kinds of people in this letter. He, he kind of skips around from this kind of person to this kind of person. Here's you, here's you, here's you. And in each instance, he's asking, what difference does Jesus make here and here and here and here? What difference does Jesus make? Peter would say, Jesus changes everything. Listen to how Jesus changes families in this letter. Jesus changes families. Jesus changes citizens. He changes our friendships. He changes our personal relationships. And even right here in the book, he's, he talks about how Jesus changes the church. How the church needs to change in light of the gospel. Listen to how Jesus changes our daily lives. How he teaches us to pray, to live, to love. Even in suffering, according to Peter, Jesus is at work in us, changing us, and rebuilding us, not tearing us down. And finally, listen also to Peter's cautions about the things that threaten to undo us. There are things outside, you know, it's in 1 Peter 5, that we have that famous 
description of the devil as a roaring lion roaming around seeking whom he can devour. So there are threats outside of us, but guess what? We all know this already. There are also threats inside of us. Peter will describe those and caution us about those in this letter. But as you, as you listen to Peter's description of how the gospel changes everything around us, don't forget this one most important fact. Peter did not write this letter for his readers to just know the gospel, and that's it. Look again at verse 2. Notice how he says he wrote this letter for obedience to Jesus Christ. He doesn't say, thank God for grace and peace. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied. You see, Peter doesn't, doesn't just want his, his readers to know the gospel. He wants them to also do the gospel. If the gospel changes everything, then everything should change. Right? If the gospel changes everything, then everything should change. That's why Peter wrote this letter. So that his readers would know and celebrate and also live the fact that Jesus is the Savior of all the world. So as we move through 1 Peter in the coming weeks, repeat over and over, repeat this over and over. If the gospel changes everything, then everything should change. And at every step, ask yourself, how does this change everything? How does this that I'm reading right now change everything? So we'll finish with this one last thing. I used to tell all my students when I was teaching, back in my teaching days, I used to tell all the ones that were approaching graduation. Now remember, you did not do all this work, and your parents did not pay all this money for you to become a member of the smart people club. It's not why you did all this, so that you can walk around and say, look, I'm a card-carrying member of the smart people club. You're supposed to use, you must use what you've learned to change of course yourself, but should change other people's lives. And ultimately, is it, too, is it too bold to say, to change the world, to change some part of it, to change it as much as you can, to change it all for the better. That's why you're here, not to become a member of the Smart People Club. Well, the same thing is true in First Peter. He did not write this letter for us, the readers, to become members of the Grace and Peace Club. Right? I mean, he says that right there in, in, in verse 2. I think that's you know, it's not just a casual greeting. It's not just words dropped that are meaningless and empty. I think it's really important that he says right up front that he wants grace and peace to be multiplied. He doesn't want grace and peace to be static. He wants it to grow exponentially. That's why he's writing. That's the whole point. He wants grace and peace to be multiplied because of what he writes here in this letter. And he wants his readers to grow and flourish and to proclaim and to spread grace and peace to everyone and everywhere. And so as we, as we study the book of First Peter in the coming weeks, may it be so with us and through us. Amen.